Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, why don't you turn your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is Healing School, and we're always talking about something related to healing or faith, to receive healing or something along that line. And um, in um, my own experience and in that which I've heard other people say uh, that believe in and minister healing, the number one obstacle to people receiving their healing is the lack of knowledge and therefore lack of faith in whether or not it's God's will to heal everybody. If we don't conquer that, if we don't clear that hurdle, then there's no basis for faith to receive. Faith begins where the will of God is known. And Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, he said, the thief comes not but for to kill, steal, and destroy, but I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. It should be an easy thing, and it is an easy thing, to find out God's perfect will concerning healing for you and for everybody else. The reason I say that, and at least one of the points that would confirm that, is that the Bible tells us when the devil is cast into the bottomless pit for the thousand-year millennium period, there is no sickness and disease left on the earth. Physical death all but is suspended. All because the devil, the presence of the devil, is taken away. That should give us a clue, along with many other truths and many other foundational principles that the Bible shows us about Jesus doing the will of the Father when he was here on the earth and healing the sick. But when you come to the issue or the question of is it God's will to heal everybody, there is one point that, again, in my experience, is the number one reason for doubt on the part of individuals to receive their healing, and that is Paul's thorn in the flesh. So in first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, we want to talk about Paul's thorn in the flesh. I know we've done this a number of times, but new people come in from time to time and it just seemed like the right thing to do this evening. So we'll start in verse 1, 2 Corinthians verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Paul said, It is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. All Bible scholars agree that Paul's talking about himself. He said, and I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knows. How that he was caught up into paradise. And he heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Lawful is kind of a difficult word because Paul is not saying God won't let me tell. He's saying I don't have words to describe. That's what lawful, not lawful to utter means. He means I don't have any any point of reference to tell you what I saw. Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but my infirmities. For though I should desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that which he hears of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest in me. 
Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Now, over the years, um, this is, well, for over a thousand years, well over a thousand years. This has been an issue that the church has dealt with and has changed positions on from time to time. When these words were first written, 26 years after Paul was saved and um, began his ministry in Acts chapter 9, Paul understood and the church understood what Paul's issue was. He understood what this thorn in the flesh was. And the church recognized that healing belonged to everybody. But over the years, that position has changed. And you've got a lot of people in the modern day church and in the last hundred years of the church particularly that have taught that Paul's thorn in the flesh was sickness and disease. F.F. Bosworth talked about in his book, Christ the Healer, about how there was a prominent clergyman in a certain part of the, the country that preached a message about Paul's thorn in the flesh, preached that Paul was sick, preached that Paul had the, the most dreaded eye disease that there was called ophthalmalia, and that this ophthalmalia, this condition of sickness and disease, was very evident. Paul was very sick. Jesus refused to heal him to make him a better minister or keep him humble or whatever the reason was. And that every time Paul would stand up in front of crowds, they would see that this pus stuff was running out of his eyes as a sign that he was in the will of God, suffering for Jesus. After that sermon was preached, it was so well received by a certain segment of the church that wanted to believe that anyway, that it was revised and printed into a pamphlet. And F.F. Bosworth said, in his, related in his book, Christ the Healer, he said that these pamphlets would be used wherever we went to hold meetings, trying to teach people about the truth of healing and getting people saved and healed and filled with the Holy Ghost. These pamphlets were used particularly to target his ministry and the ministries that he worked together with to try to enlighten or educate believers that it's not God's will to heal everybody. And he made a point that the people that uh, the, the clergyman that printed and, and uh, preached the sermon never addressed the, the specific issues, the Bible issues of what Brother Bosworth was preaching or teaching, never had a, a, an objection or able to refute in any way according to the scriptures. They just took this position that everybody knows that Paul was sick and he was the sickest of all men and so forth. Well, what did Paul mean? What is he writing to the church for and why? There's got to be an answer for that. Well, let's take apart the things that Paul said and examine them in light of the word and the language that he wrote in, the original Greek language, and see what we can come up with. Paul talks about the fact that he had visions and revelations. Paul was caught up into heaven and saw and heard things that, that he didn't know how to describe to the degree that he called that which he preached my gospel. Paul wrote to the, to the churches and he said the whole world is going to be judged by my gospel. And we know it's the gospel about Jesus. We know it's preaching and teaching about what Jesus has accomplished for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. But Paul calls it my gospel because he recognized at the time that he was preaching that he was the one that God showed all the things about who we are in Christ and how everything worked and so forth. 
None of the other apostles had it. In fact, Peter writes to the church and says, Our brother, beloved brother Paul writes things and uh, preaches and writes things to us that are hard to understand. Well, Paul's gospel certainly wasn't Peter's gospel then. What I'm trying to get across to you folks is that nobody was preaching what Paul started preaching when it was revealed to him and Jesus appeared. So what does he mean? Let's start taking this part. Notice he said, unless I should be exalted above measure, verse 7, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. First question I've got, folks, is if, if... God gave Paul this thorn in the flesh, which much of the church world says he did. Why did he feel the need to do so? Well, didn't you read there, Pastor Mike? Paul said, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations. That's why this thing came. Well, folks, there's an easy fix for that. If you're God, quit showing him stuff. It wouldn't take sickness. All he would have to do is spread out the the visions and the revelations. No, it's not God trying to humble him. Paul is identifying that Satan did something. Notice it says there was given unto me a messenger of uh, a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan. Two points I want to make right off the bat. One is what does thorn in the flesh mean? There are two times, two places that the Holy Ghost gives us record of in the Old Testament that shows us a similar phrase. And it identifies why he used them. The first one is in Numbers chapter 33, verse 55. It's talking about the children of Israel the children of Israel driving out their enemies in the promised land. And it says this. It says, but if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which you let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your side and shall vex you in the land wherein you dwell. Now, is there anybody that thinks that, that God is saying, through Moses here in Numbers chapter 33. Does anybody think that God is inspiring Moses to say that if they don't drive out the people of the land, then all of a sudden these people, these Canaanites, the ones that are not displaced, are going to be sticking out of their sides with their feet dangling out? How stupid can you get? Well, we would have to understand that the Holy Ghost meant in Numbers chapter 33. He's using as an example... Something that's an annoyance, a constant annoyance, a never-ending annoyance by not displacing their enemies from the promised land. The other place that the Bible uses this phrase or a similar phrase is in Joshua chapter 23. We'll start in verse 11. It says, Take good heed therefore unto yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Else if you do in any wise, go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even those that remain among you, and make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and they to you. Know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you. But they shall be snares, and traps unto you, and scourges in your side, and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. So here's two times that the Holy Ghost has identified a similar statement or similar illustration about thorns in your side or thorns in your flesh, pricks in your eyes, and so forth. Now, here's the question. We certainly know the Holy Ghost knew what he wrote before. We certainly know that the Holy Ghost knew what he inspired other people to write about thorns in the flesh and various 
different ways that it uh, identified that we just read. Why would it be that the Holy Ghost would give Paul inspiration, instruction, direction to use a, a statement that he's used twice before in the Old Testament to mean people? Now, all of a sudden, use it to mean sickness. Well, Pastor Mike, maybe Paul didn't know about those other instances in the Old Testament. Paul said of himself that he received the same training at the feet of one of the great Jewish masters, teachers of the law, Gamaliel. He received the same training that the high priest had of the Jews. And a part of that training, we know from Jewish history, a part of that training is to memorize And to be able to speak word for word the law and the prophets. So it's impossible for Paul not to have known. The other times where the Holy Ghost uses this example. I think that's one reason God picked Paul was because of his training. His background and his education. Spiritual education. Because he's the one that uses more than anybody else. Examples and instances and phrases from the old covenant. To show what Jesus fulfilled. So the fact that the Holy Ghost uses the phrase thorns in the flesh or a thorn in the flesh is a pretty clear indicator that it would mean the same thing that it meant the other times that the Holy Ghost inspired those writers to write. And that's talking about people, personalities. But even if we didn't have that, if we didn't have any historical record of it being used again, I want you to notice that Paul said, again, verse 7, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, that was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan. He didn't say God gave it to him. He said it's the messenger of Satan. Now, this word messenger is an interesting word. It's the word angelos. It's translated 108 or used 188 times in the New Testament. 188 times. 181 of those times is translated angel. Seven, the remaining seven times, is translated messenger. Whether it's translated messenger or whether it's translated angel, it's always used talking about personalities. In fact, the Weymouth translation even goes this far to translate that Paul asked that he, asked the Lord that he, this messenger of Satan, this personality, that he would be taken from him. Folks, this is not some new revelation. This information and this truth has been around since Paul wrote this. So he said that there was given to him a messenger of Satan, a personality. We would have to assume that's an evil spirit influencing people against Paul's ministry, particularly the Jews. And we know that the primary reason that people were against or the primary source of the people that were against Paul's ministry were the Jews. They stirred up persecution. They stirred up trouble. You look at the book of Acts and and, uh, follow it along on the map. You'll find that there was only one city. It's identified specifically that Paul was not run out of. Every other place he ever went, varying periods of times for different cities. But sooner or later, he got run out of town through persecution. So Paul said, unless I be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan. This personality came from the devil, not God. Notice what for? To buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. 
The word buffet is interesting because it means to deliver blow after blow. Now, folks, let me ask you a question. Is that what sickness does? Does sickness deliver blow after blow after blow? If this means sickness, if this thing that Paul is talking about is the messenger of the personality given by Satan or sent by Satan, assigned by Satan against him to stir up trouble against him wherever he goes. If this is sickness, then that means he had to endure sickness after sickness after sickness after sickness after sickness. Or that one sickness, instead of a multitude of sicknesses, that one sickness would have to deliver blow after blow after blow. How is that possible? The place where the, the places in the New Testament where this word buffet is used in other instances is most often used for waves crashing against the rocks or against the ship that he was on or whatever the case might be. Wave after wave after wave comes in. Well, we get that. We could say by this same definition that the waves of the sea buffet the seashore. That's what it means. It means to deliver blow after blow after blow. But sickness doesn't do that. Sickness does not operate that way. So what does Paul do? Paul prays. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am high strong. Now, here's the question. When did Jesus, who never changes, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. When did Jesus, in his earthly ministry, ever say no to somebody that came to him for healing? Of all the examples that we've got in Scripture, you can't find one where he said no to anybody. In fact, in the case of the Syrophoenician woman, this woman's faith caused Jesus to respond in such a way that he delivered healing power to her before it was even supposed to be available for her to have. Jesus answered her. When he finally did talk to her, he said, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She fell down before him and worshiped him. Jesus finally says, or she worshiped him and said, help me, Lord, help me. And then Jesus finally said, it's not right to take the children's bread, that which is for the Jews, and cast it to dogs. And she answers, yea, Lord, truth. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said, woman, great is your faith, be it unto you even as you will. So what that's telling us is that even though it was not time for her or any of the other Gentiles in the, in the world, to receive that which God sent first to the Jews, including healing power and deliverance. But her faith caused him to cross that boundary. Does anybody have any doubt that Paul knew how to believe God? Anybody have any doubt that if Paul's praying by faith for healing for his body, that he wouldn't have enough faith to receive it with the things that he knows about God and the things that have been revealed to him? The revelations have already come. He said this was a result of the revelations that came, the result of the things that God showed him. Somebody wants to keep him from being exalted. Well, it wasn't God that was trying to keep him from being exalted. The devil's the one that sent the messenger. So Jesus answers Paul's prayer three times. He prayed three times. You know, it's an interesting thing. Paul makes a big deal about praying three times. 
See, folks, when you pray in faith and you pray according to the will of God, you don't have to keep praying over and over and over. He seems to make a big deal. I prayed about this three times. Sounds like his prayer life was such that he expected to get a lot better results than that after praying once or maybe twice, but three times. He leaves that impression for us, doesn't he? So after praying this prayer three times that it or he might be removed from me, the the thing that the language identifies as personality, Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. When do we ever find a place where someone came to Jesus looking for healing where grace was ever even mentioned? There's no place. The reason for that is because grace is for the inner man, not the outer man. You remember there are a lot of people that came to Jesus seeking mercy and received their healing. You can't find any place anywhere where grace is associated with the healing power of God, ever. Now, Paul's the one that tells us more about the grace of God than anybody else. I wonder if he'd know that. So, if that's the case, and it is, we've got a situation where a man in faith is asking for what he knows or he believes at least to be part of the benefits of salvation, the healing power of God. We know that he believes that because he ministers healing in a number of places during the, uh, his time on the earth is recorded by the book of Acts. We know that he's ministering healing. We know it's part of the gospel that he preached. So he would have to know something about how to receive. So here's a man in faith asking God for healing And Jesus says no, according to the denominational world. Jesus says no. Well, folks, if that's the way that it worked, if that's the way that it went, then Jesus is not the same today as he was yesterday. He's changed. Which means we've got some pages to tear out of our Bibles. Which means the whole of the Bible, the whole of the revelation of Jesus as given to us in the New Testament is not true or accurate. Well, that can't be the case. It can't be the case. So then, what is Jesus' response to Paul and why? Well, if Paul is identifying, and he is, that it's these personalities, satanic assignments, demonic assignments, that stirs up people against him, causes him to be persecuted. And Jesus responds to the prayer by saying, my grace is sufficient for you. Then that has to mean that whatever Paul is asking for is not a part of what belongs to us as new creatures in Christ Jesus. That can't be healing. What does it mean? It means very simply this. There's no place in the scripture that tells us that we will be saved from persecution by having it removed. Persecution is not a part of redemption. Or deliverance from persecution is not a part of redemption. Jesus went so far as to say this. And Paul wrote the same thing. He said, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Well, then we can't be redeemed from it. The Bible is faithful to show us you're going to be persecuted. If you live for Jesus, you're going to be persecuted, which is probably the main reason most Christians aren't. They're not living in such a way that causes the persecution. But Paul certainly was. We see it in city after city where his travels and his journeys were 
identified city after city after city. He's been chased out of town. Persecuted. Well, if Paul is talking about persecution, the church world says it's sickness. The thorn in the flesh is sickness. But Paul says it's persecution. We ought to be able to tell, shouldn't we? For example, if Paul was this terribly sick man that many denominations would have you believe that he was, then wouldn't he have identified it? Wouldn't he have identified, here's why I have this, but used words that were a lot more specific and a lot more meaningful than the ones that he used? See, there's a lot of people that will say, well, I don't care what the language is. I don't care what the words themselves mean. Paul was sick. And if God wouldn't heal Paul, then maybe he won't heal me. And if you don't know that that's not true, it's impossible to receive healing. Well, let's go back to chapter 11 and see what Paul identifies as the problems that he encountered in ministry. Part of the problem that he's having with the Corinthian church is that they're letting other people run over them. People that are claiming to be ministers, claiming to be sent from God and so forth, that are putting the people in bondage rather than uh, turning them loose, setting them free through the truth. So that Paul said this. He said, um, well, we'll pick up in the middle of the the discourse. In verse 22, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22, he's talking about these ministers. He said, are they Jews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. He's trying to make the point. All these people you're so impressed with that put you in bondage. I've done a lot more than they have. You ought to be listening to me. Paul told the Corinthian church, if I'm an apostle to anybody, it's to you. So he says in verse 23, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. How are you more, Paul? He's going to lay out a list. In labors or work for the Lord, more abundant. That's not sickness. In stripes above measure, there's two ways you could read that. One way is he's taken beatings more times than he could count. Another way you could read that is he's taken excessive beatings without citing a number. Either way, it's not sickness and disease. In prisons more frequent, that's not sickness. In deaths often or facing the uh, danger of death more often. That's not sickness. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. That's not sickness and disease. Three times I was beaten with rods. That's not sickness and disease. Once I was stoned. That's not sickness and disease. I suffered shipwreck, again, not sickness or disease. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in open water, and the perils that uh, are associated with that, that's not sickness and disease either. In journeyings often, Paul said, I travel further than any of those people that are using you and taking advantage of you. That's not sickness and disease. In perils of waters, not sickness or disease. Perils of robbers, not sickness and disease. In perils by my own countrymen, the Jews, Not sickness or disease. In perils by the heathen, not sickness and disease. In perils of the city, not sickness and disease. Perils in the wilderness, that's not sickness or disease either. In perils in the sea, not sickness or disease. In perils among false brethren, not sickness or disease. In wearings and painfulness, 
in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. None of those are sickness and disease. Verse 28, beside those things that are without, physical things, things that come at me from the outside to the outer, the outer man, that which cometh upon me daily, which is the care of all the churches. Where's sickness and disease in his list of things that he's endured in his ministry? If Paul was the sickest of all men, and if Paul was known for this pus stuff that runs out of his eyes constantly, continually, why didn't he say that? Why didn't he say, nobody's suffering for Jesus like I am. Just look at my eye condition. But he doesn't. If it was such a prominent part of his life and such a prominent, so recognizable and easily seen in his body, why wouldn't he identify it as something that was of God? Mr. Perfect Opportunity, if the, if the principle is here, the one that suffers the most in their body is the one that God likes the best, then he missed a perfect opportunity. But a lot of the things that he identifies that he endured in ministry or had endured in ministry up to that point would be very difficult to encounter if you had this kind of eye disease. How's he going to work harder than the other ministers that are out there tooting their own horns if his life is filled with sickness and disease in this terrible manner? How's that work? Most people I know of that are dealing with sickness, it cuts down on their schedule, not adds to it. Isn't that true for you too? So where's the evidence that Paul was sick? Well, some have said, maybe Paul just didn't identify it. Maybe he just didn't talk about it. Maybe he's just trying to make a good confession. Well, he talked about Epaphroditus being sick. He didn't pull any punches on that one. He said Epaphroditus worked himself almost to death, and it was at the point of death, and it would have died if not for the mercy of God upon me. He talked about another one of his helpers that he left in a certain city because he was sick. So he didn't pull any punches about sickness and disease when it came upon his assistance. Why would we think he would pull punches when it came upon him if it did? Of course, there's another possibility, and that is he wasn't sick. Yeah, but you're going to have to look at what he told the Galatians. Turn with me over to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. He said, you know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. A couple of things I want you to see. He's talking about infirmity. Infirmity is very rarely used as the word for sickness. It's usually used for the word weakness. Now, that's not true in every case. I can't say that this word infirmity is never used concerning sickness because it is. But as a general rule, infirmity just means weakness. And so what does he say? He says, you remember how that the first time I came to you was in the weakness of the flesh. I preached unto you, preached the gospel unto you at the first. I want you to notice something. The reason that he says at the first, the only reason he would say at the first is if it was something that didn't last. He's not saying, you know how through infirmity of the flesh, I preach everywhere I go. No, he's saying I preach through infirmity of the flesh The first time I was with you. And my temptation, the word temptation just means affliction, the trouble that I was in, which was in my flesh, you despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God. Here's this word angelos, messenger of God. 
You receive me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus himself. Where is then the blessedness that you spoke of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and had given them to me. Well, see, this confirms Paul had some dreaded eye disease. Well, notice Paul said that he had a condition at the first. Not a lasting condition, but one that was at the first. Now, what do we know about Paul going into Galatia? Well, Acts chapter 14 tells us the first time Paul went into the region of Galatia. He preaches at Iconium. And at Iconium, the Jews stirred up trouble against him. And so he ran out of town and went to the next city. The Bible tells us that he came, the next city he came to was Lystra and Derby, the cities of Lystra and Derby. And there at Lystra, there sat a man that was crippled in his feet, impotent in his feet, who had never walked. The same heard Paul preach or speak. And Paul perceived that he had faith to be healed. So Paul said to him with a loud voice, stand up right on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now, I want to point out a couple of things. I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but folks, I want you to realize a couple of things. Number one. The first time that Paul was at Galatia, the region of Galatia, including the cities of Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, Paul got a crippled man healed. So whatever his condition, whatever his situation, whatever he experienced was not sufficient to keep the crippled man who had never heard about Jesus before to have faith to be healed. Would that have been possible if Paul had pus running out of his eyes? First time Paul ever went anywhere, if he had this condition where pus was running out of his eyes all the time, he would have had to explain what was going on. He would have had to have told the people, now folks, I know this looks terrible. It's extremely painful. I know it looks bad with this pus running out of my eyes. I prayed about it. I asked God to heal me, but God said no. But don't worry, healing belongs to you. Anybody going to bite at that? Who in the world would be able to overcome the thought? Why would God heal me if he won't heal you? You know more about him than I do. You're here telling me about him. Why would healing be mine and belong to me when it doesn't belong to you? But Acts 14 tells us the story isn't over. Because the Jews stirred up trouble. The ones that stirred up trouble against him in Iconium sent a delegation down to Lystra and Derby. And when they found Paul, they took him outside the city limits. And the Bible says they stoned him and left him for dead. This has to be the place that Paul is talking about it to the Corinthians. Once I was stoned. We don't have any other record of times that he was stoned. So that must be the case. And so it says they left him for dead. These professional stoners, these people that came with a specific purpose to stone Paul to death, left him for dead. But as the believers gathered around, the life of God came back into him and he raised up. The Bible tells us that the very next thing that he did within the next couple of days was go back to Iconium. And everybody by that time has been told, Paul is dead. Won't have to worry about that guy anymore. And he comes walking down the road and says, I'm back. Well, let me ask you this. What would Paul have looked like the first time he came back or the first time he's in Galatia when he returns to Iconium? What's he going to look like? You ever seen the results of some of these heavyweight prize fighters, 
boxing matches and stuff. Man, if somebody lands a couple of good blows, their face swells up like crazy. Sometimes fights are stopped because the eyes start swelling to the point where they don't have vision. I wonder if any of that could have been a possibility of what Paul is talking about. The people in, the, in Galatia didn't need an explanation. They were there. They remember. But is it possible that the effects of the stoning were still in his body, were, were still visible and in his body? If that's true, and I don't know, makes sense, but I don't know for sure. If that's true, those same marks, that same swelling and whatever other indications of the stoning that was on his body would not have remained, they would healed up over time. Which indicates that it would have been different when Paul went back the second time, which he did a couple of years later, and any subsequent times that he went through that region. My point is, there's a very simple possibility of what Paul is talking about when he says through infirmity of the flesh, he preached to them in the first. It certainly doesn't have to be sickness and disease. Sickness and disease is not something is not the only thing that would meet the criteria and explain the situation. In fact, I think it would provide a very poor explanation. So let me point, make the point again. How could Paul inspire faith in others for healing if he's got this stuff running out of his eyes all the time? I would submit that would be a pretty difficult task to complete. Furthermore, in Acts chapter 19... Verse 11, it says, and God, he's in uh, Ephesus, the city of Ephesus having one of the greatest revivals that he had anywhere that he went. It says, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were taken into the sick handkerchiefs or aprons. And when those handkerchiefs and aprons or cloths, whatever they were, were laid on the sick, the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. Now, what would you do if you lived in that time period and somebody came to you and said, You know that apostle Paul, that preacher named Paul? Yeah, the guy that's got all the pus running out of his eyes all the time. Everybody has heard about that. I've got a prayer cloth for you that came directly from him. And all you have to do is put that prayer cloth on your body and it'll minister healing to your flesh. Folks, I would submit to you that most people are going to be interested in burning those cloths, not using them. If they came from a guy that had the situation that many claim Paul did. You see the point? Well, what's the simplest and easiest explanation? In my thinking, it's to accept exactly what Paul said, that the devil stirred up trouble against Paul because of the abundance of revelations he received from the Lord. And that trouble resulted in the persecution that we have identified that we can track from the book of Acts. And Jesus simply explained to him when Paul prayed about it, Here's revelation to Paul. He didn't know that they weren't redeemed from persecution at that point, apparently, because he's praying that God would remove him from him, that God would cancel the devil's agenda against him. Well, God doesn't run with the devil. He doesn't change what the devil tries to do. What does that mean for us? Well, for me, it means that the same healing power of God that Paul ministered, he walked in. Think of Paul's ministry. Everywhere he went, he walked. Think of how healthy Paul would have had to stay to endure everything that he endured and still complete the the circuit or get to all the places that God wanted him to preach. 
He's got to be walking in the healing power of God. He's got to be walking in the restorative power of God. Like I said, everywhere they go, they walk. He says three times he was beaten with rods. Well, the process of people beating, being beaten with rods was being beaten on the bottom of their feet. Very easy to break bones in your feet through this beating that they took, that he took with rods. Well, if his feet go down, Paul's ministry is over. He can't get in a wheelchair and go to the airport and get on a private plane. If he's going to get somewhere, he's got to walk. The healing and the restorative power of God had to have been great in Paul's ministry for him to complete the work that God wanted him to do. One last thing, Galatians chapter 6. Concerning Paul's thorn, some will say, yeah, but Paul said himself that he had eye trouble. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 11. Paul writing says, you see how large a letter I have written unto you with my own hand. And people have jumped on that and said, well, see, Paul's eyes were so bad he had to write in great big letters. Well, there's two things that this could possibly mean from the language. One is the letters themselves that he's writing are, are large. The second possibility is that the letter, meaning not the individual letters to make up the words, but the entirety of the book or the letter that he writes to the church is a large one. Well, some would say, well, that doesn't fit the, the, uh, the idea that we have from the book of Galatians. It's only six chapters. That's certainly not the largest one Paul wrote. But it is widely accepted, not universally accepted, but it is widely accepted by the writings, the things that he wrote about to the Galatians and how that they were allowing the Jews to rob them of the freedom that they have in Christ by accepting him as Lord and Savior instead of keeping the law and doing all the other things that the Jews were still trying to do. It is widely accepted that the book of Galatians was attached to the book of Hebrews. That the book of Hebrews was taken, intended to be taken, and was taken by the Jews in the region of Galatia to explain to them how Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross superseded the law and canceled out the necessity or the need for keeping the law of Moses. And when they found that it was something written especially for the Jews, the books, the two letters, the combination of the two letters were divided and the book of Hebrews was sent to Jerusalem and sent out to other churches from there. Now, folks, there's some historical evidence that that is very possibly true. That's why I say it's widely accepted because of the historical confirmation, if you will, that we have. And it's not ironclad. There's still plenty of room for you to believe whatever you want, whether it has anything to do with the truth or not. And the church exercises that right very, very diligently. But it's widely accepted that the book of Galatians and the book of Hebrews were attached together, joined together, meant to be read First, by the Gentile believers, the, the, book, the book that carries the name of the Galatians was to be read by Gentile believers, and the book of Hebrews is to be read by the Jews that were there. That would explain, just exploring another possibility, that would explain why the book of Hebrews is not identified as being written by anybody. If it was attached to the letter to the Galatians, anybody that reads it or hears about it would know that it was part of what Paul wrote. And the combination of Galatians and Hebrews would by far be the longest epistle that Paul wrote. Hands down. 
With that in mind, let's go back to first, Second Corinthians chapter 12 and read these scriptures again. Beginning in verse 7, Paul said, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Here's the Holy Ghost inspiring him to use an example that fits, by comparison, that fits to the enemies of Israel in the Old Covenant. Well, who are our enemies now? The devil and his angels. The devil and his messengers. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan. The devil, or Paul knew where this came from. He knew it wasn't from God. He knew it was from the devil. For this thing I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And the Lord said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. If you stop just there in verse 9 and you see what Jesus said. Jesus told Paul, Paul, I know what persecution you're undergoing. I know you want it to stop. But if they persecuted me, they persecute you just like I told my disciples. But don't worry, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. The very fact that Jesus says those words indicates that he wants, he, Jesus... Wants Paul to be strengthened. How is he going to be strengthened? By the grace of God. The strength that comes. From the finished work of Jesus. So how does Paul interpret this? How does Paul receive this? Paul says. Most gladly therefore. Will I rather glory in my infirmities. I will glory in the weaknesses that come. By these persecutions. I'm sure he felt pretty weak. When he was a day and night in the water. In the deep. I'm sure he felt pretty weak when he was beaten by rods and beaten by the Jews. I'm sure he felt pretty weak oftentimes when he was in prison. He was there so much he probably got used to it. But that would be a helpless position. I'm sure he felt inadequate and weak when it came to the other issues and things that he mentioned. All the perils in the city and the wilderness and by robbers and false brethren and heathen and so forth. He'd feel the same way you and I feel about it. But he says, most gladly will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. This word infirmities just means weakness. It does not mean sickness. I take pleasure in reproaches. When people try to rebuke me unjustly. In necessities. He's talking about when I don't have enough to eat and drink. And to take care of my basic needs. In persecutions. He mentions it specifically now. He knows something about it. In distresses for Christ's sake. For when, I'm, when I am weak. Then am I strong. He says. And he is saying. What is true for you and me too. And that is when we identify places. That we don't have the, the, the will. We don't have the power. We don't have the strength to overcome. That's when we can look for the power of God to raise us up. Can you see it? Now, folks, that's the only thing that fits everything the Bible says about the work of the devil and the work of Jesus. Jesus said, my father in me doeth the works. Jesus said, he that has seen me has seen the father. That's the reason Jesus never turned anybody away. It's the reason he didn't have to stop and pray when somebody asked him to heal them. 
He didn't have to stop and pray and find out from God, does healing belong to this person? Does healing belong to that person? Who in this crowd, Lord, Father God, who in this crowd am I supposed to heal and who am I supposed to leave alone so that they can glory in their sickness? Didn't happen that way. The only thing that answers the question, why didn't it happen that way, is the understanding that healing was provided for all. Over and over again, it says the multitude came to Jesus and healed them all. He healed all that were sick. He healed all that were sick. One final note. If Paul's condition, whatever it was, if you're not willing to accept that it wasn't sickness in his body, if Paul's condition didn't keep him from inspiring faith in other people to receive their healing, why should anybody nowadays let it keep them from receiving growing in faith, receiving the faith to receive their own healing. If it didn't stop the faith of the people back then, why should it stop your faith now? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you that your word is truth. We thank you that your word is clear to those that seek understanding. We know that Jesus told us the truth. We know that when he said the thief comes not but for st- to st- steal, kill, and destroy... We know that's the work of the devil. We know sickness and disease robs from people. It takes their life. It cuts their life short. It destroys their bodies. So it can't be of you. Jesus, you said you came to give us life and life more abundantly. We receive life. We bless you, Lord, with all of our soul, and we forget not all of your benefits. You forgive all our iniquities. You heal all our diseases. Crown us with loving kindness and tender mercies to redeem our life from destruction. You satisfy our mouth with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Father, we believe. We believe Jesus is our healer. We believe Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And with his stripes, we were healed. We believe. Therefore, we call our bodies well. We call our bodies healed. In Jesus' precious name. We thank you, Father, for bringing it to pass. That's outside of our control. But we've got a promise from you that you'd bring it to pass. We count it done, Lord. We count it done. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Is that your prayer too? It certainly is mine. Well, let's all stand together. Let's just lift our hands and thank God for his goodness. Thank him for being such a good heavenly father. Master, we worship you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you've done for us. We thank you that you took stripes upon your back to affect our healing and our cure. We thank you that you paid the price so that we could reign over sin, sickness, and disease and we could walk in the healing power and the very life of God. We love you, Father. We thank you so much for your goodness. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.